It truly is another blessed Lord's Day morning that we've been given the opportunity to assemble, to come together in the way that we are today. It's certainly a great blessing and a privilege. It's ours and an honor. Do we not read in Psalm 89, verse 7, that God is greatly to be feared in the assembly of the saints and to be had in reverence of all them that are about Him. This morning, if you'd be turning to Luke chapter 12, I'll be there in that particular passage with you in just a moment. But as we move up to that particular consideration, maybe it would be a good time to highlight that Denise and I, certainly my family, thankful to be back with you today. That meeting at Baghdad in which we were blessed to be a part was uh, certainly a blessing in many ways. They seemed quite receptive to the messages brought and they were very encouraging to us and we certainly hope that we were to them. The gospel of Jesus Christ is the most important message on earth. In fact, there's no other message that comes close to it. It is the message of salvation, the message of the Christ, that message that surrounds the death, the burial, the resurrection of our Lord. And yet, in light of that today, we arrive at Luke, the 12th chapter. I entitled this lesson, Much Required, and you'll see why that I selected that title shortly. To build up to that, here are some introductory thoughts. I think we'd all readily agree that there are some aspects of the Word of God that can be rather startling. Startling in comparison, you see, to what the human family would expect and what the human family would find to be a normal course of action. In fact, I've listed just three, but you and I know quite thoroughly that many more could have been listed. But isn't it so that Jesus places an exclusive message? Only those that follow Him faithfully will go to heaven. I know the world sees that as so narrow and sees that as being so restricted, and yet that's what the Lord said. Isn't it also true? The husbands are thus challenged and directed to be the spiritual leaders of their families. The world may well not look upon that in any way that seems sensible, but yet you and I have complete confidence and the absolute assurance of the Word of God that that's what the God of heaven has not only revealed, but that which is the best course of action. I say it that way to say this. We're going to look at another one today. It's going to be found in Luke, the 12th chapter, but as we prepare to look at it, may I say again, it's going to be a startling truth. It's a truth that will challenge you and me. But it's a truth that we must keep in mind because, again, God revealed it. And therefore, we know that this is His expectation. As I turn the slide and you and I begin into this consideration, may I point out that Luke 12 is a somewhat lengthy chapter. And we would never want to separate the teaching of the verse of interest to us today from the larger context. Could I point out to each of us that there is a gigantic set of beautiful teachings about faithfulness. What is involved in being faithful to our Lord and to serving Him with the directness and the allegiance and loyalty that He would not only demand, but what would be best? I've selected just a few observations. First, couldn't you start in verse 5? Serving God in faith will demand that we recognize a healthy fear of Him but we recognize that we're not going to fear those in the world the same way that we do Him. In addition to that, in verse number 7, You and I serve a God who knows everything about you and me. The very hairs of your head and mine are numbered. 
the God of heaven knows what that number is. And if he's mindful of something like that, then isn't it fair to say he's mindful of the larger issues of our life, the concerns and needs of our heart, the things that we face at work or at school or otherwise? I've added another one to that list, and it's the one in verse 15. In order to be faithful, we are quickly reminded that covetousness must not be a part of the way in which you and I pursue our life. Jesus spoke much about covetousness, and here it was in the context, you might remember, of a parable. He began it in verse 15 by saying, Beware of it. I suppose the world will naturally encourage an attitude of covetousness, looking upon things more so than we look upon God. Pursuing after money or possessions or wealth or fame or notoriety, whatever else it may be. But Jesus said, you've got to be careful here. You recall how that development went. That farmer's crops brought forth so much. Don't you know how happy he must have been? My crops have brought forth more than the barns can handle. And so here's what I'll do. I'll tear down these barns and build some bigger ones. And here's what I'll say. So take thine ease, eat, drink, and be merry. For thou hast many goods laid up for many years. But then God had something to say about that. The God of heaven joined in the refrain and said, You fool! This night your soul is going to be required of you. And then, whose will those things be that you've provided? So isn't it true? Faithfulness will involve a healthy respect for the God of heaven and a desire to do His will. That means to be charitable, to be those that are benevolent, to be those that assist brothers and sisters and those others who are in need. And that's the very mindset that the rich young ruler, that that person there, that farmer, didn't have. As you journey forward in the chapter, though, what about verse 22? In an attitude of faithfulness, aren't we reminded that God cares for His children? We've already learned about the hairs of our head being numbered. But we also learn in verse number 22 that when it comes to the matters of what clothes I'm going to wear and the place, the house that will provide shelter for me and the food that I'm going to eat, the text says God will make sure you have all of that as long as you're faithful to Him. In other words, those ought not be the prime consideration, for God will take care of them. But the question comes to you would be, do you and I serve the Lord with a fullness and the consideration that these kind of passages would encourage of us? The Lord isn't finished, though. Look at what comes next. There's a very personal aspect of this in verse 31. But rather seek ye the kingdom of God, and all these things shall be added unto you. To seek the kingdom of God. Matthew would say it this way, to seek the kingdom first. To place that as the highest priority. And to do that in light of what the God of heaven has revealed to us. It does beg a great question, doesn't it? Is the kingdom the most important thing in your life? Is it the most important thing in mine? Jesus said to seek the kingdom first. That would mean that it ought to occupy the highest rank of consideration. Is my love for the church preeminent? Is my thanksgiving for it the highest of all? 
Is it the case the church is that special to me? I hope that none of us allow the church to fall into being a second-hand consideration, just something that's no more than a habit at best. Because if so, we need to rethink some matters and to give consideration to verses like these. The next one that follows is in verse number 34. Jesus made this rather blunt. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Quite frankly, it's by and large easy to tell where any given person's treasure is. It's going to be where their heart is. What do they talk about? What kinds of things are obviously on their mind and on their heart? That's where their treasure will be. If it's their car, if it's their house, if it's the land they own, that's what they're going to talk about. That's where you'll see they're in their particular pursuit to lie, and that's where the treasure is. Jesus reminded us, where your treasure is, there your heart's going to be. And yet in that very passage, aren't we told, it ought to be laid up in regard to heaven. Lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. These kind of matters are very challenging, aren't they? It really calls upon us to think about what our priorities are. Is it the kingdom? Is that where my treasure is? You may notice I've asked you to consider one more. It's found for us in verses 37 and again in verse 40. Blessed are those servants whom the Lord when He cometh shall find watching. Jesus stated, I suppose, the obvious. It's so important to be watchful, to conduct oneself in such a way as to be regarded as faithful. And He even highlighted in the form of an easy-to-understand presentation. Suppose there was a master who had some slaves. And this master was in need of going on a journey. And so while he was away, he gave orders to the slaves. These are the things you need to be doing. These are the ways in which you do them. And now the obvious question, what if when the master's away, the slaves do what they want? They mistreat one another. They ignore the work the, Lord, the master gave them to do. They just have a grand old time then what do you suppose will take place when the master returns? And when he thus gives a reckoning as to, did you do what I asked you to do? Did you do that which I gave you to do? Then it's again an obvious statement. The Lord will not be very pleased if they have not done that which was commanded. And so in verse number 37, Blessed are those servants whom the Lord when He cometh shall find watching. In other words, they were each moment making ready in preparation for the return of the Master so that they could be found appropriate and faithful by virtue of His discretion. Again, in many ways that seems obvious, doesn't it? Because after all, what if He comes and finds them unprepared? Not only will He be displeased, as we'll see in a moment, the consequences could be serious. As you journey forward on that slide that's now before you, I've asked you to close that slide like this. Oh, what a great element in wisdom is to be found just in noting some general observations about this chapter so far. If I can now direct your attention to verse 41, it's what's going to lead us into the next set of observations. And in that particular passage, it reads like this. 
Then Peter said unto him, Lord, speakest thou this parable unto us or even to all? So what it was that Jesus had just described, Peter had a bit of a question. Jesus, is that message only for us? Or have you delivered that for the benefit of everyone? Let's, let us notice how Jesus answered that question. What did He say to Peter? And what did He say in light of Peter's inquiry of Him? And the Lord said, Who then is that faithful and wise steward, whom his Lord shall make ruler over his household? to give them their portion of meat in due season. In other words, the Lord asked Peter a question. So Peter, you have just heard that the description involved a steward who was wise. Well, what would constitute a wise steward? How would you know one if you were to see one? What would make an individual in the category of wisdom? And thus, what would make one unwise? Let's read onward, verse 43. Blessed is that servant whom his Lord, when he cometh, shall find so doing. Of a truth I say unto you that he will make him ruler over all that he hath. So when the master comes back and finds the servant who had been left in charge, that he had carried out his responsibilities dutifully, he had taken care of that which the master had commanded, it says the master will be so pleased and so accepting of him that he will allow him a measure of responsibility. He will be given charge or rulership over some that he hath. Again, that doesn't seem that far-fetched, does it? Jesus wasn't finished, though, when he takes us to verse 45. But, and if that servant say in his heart, My Lord delayeth his coming, and shall begin to beat the men servants and maidens and to eat and drink and to be drunken. And now you and I see the situation. This ruler, this particular slave that had been left with some degree of responsibility, he reaches the conclusion the master is gone for a long time. You may notice the only information we were given in verse 36 was that the master was going to a wedding. Now, you and I remember in that day and time that the circumstances were often that there was a marriage feast that would take place afterward. And that might well take a few days or maybe even longer. This servant, it seems, was under the impression that the master was going to be gone for a while and he had some leisurely time to do what he wanted while the master was away. And in response, he begins to mistreat the men servants and the maid servants. Verse 45. He begins to eat and drink and to be drunken. He is not dutiful with respect to that which he was given to do. And now when the master returns, let's look at verse 46. The Lord of that servant will come in a day when he looketh not for him, and at an hour when he is not aware, and will cut him in sunder, and will appoint him his portion with the unbelievers." It might easily be the case that you and I could begin by saying, well, that's a fine teaching about being dutiful with respect to one's occupation. If the boss gives me something to do and then he's out for lunch and so I'll twiddle my thumbs and play for the next 45 minutes and then I'll race to try to get enough done to at least not get in trouble by the time he comes back. Well, it's true, this kind of thing would in fact help us to teach that that's not a good idea. 
But could I point out to you in verse 46, the Lord's teaching is much more profound than this. Did you notice He uses the word unbelievers? He uses the word unfaithful. This is a larger teaching that directly comes to you and me in light of our service to the Lord God of heaven. Isn't it amazing that the punishment rendered read like this, cut him in sunder. What does that mean? In other words, when the master returns and finds this person who has been so derelict in his responsibility, he will be cut in sunder. That's a very strong message about his dissolution, the ruin that's now connected to him. He will not only be stripped of his position. He is going to be cut in sunder. That's going to take a very powerful observation in just a minute. In fact, I would ask you to keep it in mind as we now read verse 47. And that servant which knew his Lord's will and prepared not himself, neither did according to his will shall be beaten with many stripes. Could I offer to you the thought that we are being given an impression about that which will develop on the day of judgment? The Lord's description has pointed us in that direction. Again, we're talking about what connects to faithfulness and what connects to unbelief and what connects to properly responding to the statements of command the Master has given to those that knew the Lord's will and didn't do it. Beaten with many stripes. The punishment will be severe. It will not be what could be regarded as the ordinary kind of punishment, but those that knew the will of the Master, they were apprised of it. It was a matter known to them, and they deliberately didn't do it. They chose to do something else. It says they're beaten with many stripes. The following statement on that slide, the very bottom one in fact, highlights for us the reminder that should often rest upon our heart. May you and I have an urgency about our service to the Master. Knowing the Master's will and choosing not to do it is not an idle activity. And it's not something that passes by without any consequences. Because isn't it true that the next verse, verse 48, which is our lesson text says, But he that knew not and did commit things worthy of stripes shall be beaten with few stripes. There are degrees of punishment in hell. Wherever you are in hell is bad enough. We understand that. And that's not a surprise or shock to us. But this is one verse among many that at least points us to the reality that on that day of judgment it shall be sorer for some, while not as sore for others, though all in that category are lost. Do you and I not remember that when Jesus spoke about various cities in Matthew chapter 12, like Chorazin and Bethsaida, He says it will be more tolerable for Sodom and Gomorrah than for them. Doesn't that indicate? that Sodom and Gomorrah will get off less intense than Bethsaida would. That's only a couple of ways that you and I can appreciate that our God is infinitely wise and He recognizes what each person's circumstances are. And He understands the considerations that go with each one. And yet this verse and those that surround it 
remind us that there is a distinction between many stripes and few stripes. As you close that slide with me, doesn't that then prompt us to note the closing part of verse 48? For unto whomsoever much is given, of him shall be much required. And that will be what will occupy our attention for really the remainder of our study time this morning. Much required. Would you think with me about some of the aspects of that as, as you and I apply it to ourselves? There are several observations and several things that might easily be noted, but doesn't it begin by this? Jesus explained by saying He had just highlighted about few stripes versus many, and then He said, For unto whomsoever much is given. Is it not the case in the matter connected to life and that which goes with it, that God has blessed us in a rather mighty way, and there are those who have been given a larger set of talents or capacities or capabilities or skills, whatever word we might wish to use. Isn't it true that there are times that even in the workplace we seemingly see at least a parallel to this? Maybe there is a board of directors or maybe there is a, a manager or boss and this person sees in somebody a real potential for development, a real potential for growth and a potential to impact the company in some rather dramatically positive ways. And so to that person is given responsibilities. But we all understand that with that big paycheck comes big responsibility. There are board meetings to attend and there are reports that have to be put together and there are answering matters connected to the board or otherwise. We understand that. But it's fair to say that to whom much is given, much is required. And yet Jesus says that God operates in that way. To the person to whom much is given, there's an expectation that much is required. As you and I apply that to ourselves, the, the strong matter connected to it is rather obvious, isn't it? Has much been given to you? Has much been given to me? And by much, again, I would connect that to the opportunities connected to faithfulness because that, again, is the very context in which we are. If so, then there is much expected of you and me. That is a very personal matter, to be sure. And each of us must give great care and reflective thought as to what about your talents and skills and capacities and other matters. For is it not fair to say that if God has given them, and He has, He will expect much from you, and He'll expect much from me. We're going to look at another verse in a moment that at least invites us to reflect upon this more, but could you begin by noting a few obvious statements and a few powerful truths about it. First of all, isn't it true God gives us these skills? They don't come accidentally. They don't come happenstantially. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, and cometh down from the Father of lights, with whom is no variableness, either shadow of turning, to borrow the words of James 1, verse 17. And in fact, perhaps a more extended presentation of this might well be to reflect upon that parable our Lord spoke in Matthew 25. 
beginning in verse 14 and continuing to to verse 30 in that chapter, Jesus spoke about that well-known parable we often call the parable of the talents. One more time, in there, there was the master who was going off on a far journey. But to one of his servants, he gave five talents. To another, he gave two talents. To another, he gave one talent. And those were respective denominations of money. But you and I might notice he didn't give them all the same amount of money. He gave one of them five talents. A full two and a half times what he gave the next one. And to another he gave two talents, which was double what he gave the last one. And yet, the following observation or the following expectation was in order. Occupy with this. Make use of this till I come. We begin to see here there was an expectation of their utility of that which they'd been given. You and I know quite well what transpired. When the master returned, the five-talent fella had said, Look, here's five more. He had made use of that which he had been given and was able to return a full double the amount he had been given, a full ten talents. The master was so pleased. Well done, he said, thou good and faithful servant. But as you and I look at the second one, notice the Lord was equally pleased, but he didn't give back five additional ones like the first guy did. He was only able to return two additional ones to what he had been given, and yet the Lord said to him virtually verbatim exactly the same thing. Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Is that not a reminder? that God doesn't expect of us all exactly the same thing in terms of productivity in the kingdom. It is graded by what He has given to each of us. But therein lies the question, and therein lies the reflection for you and me. Has much been given to you and me? If so, we'd better be returning much, for the Master won't be pleased. What am I doing with what talents I've been given? What are you doing with what talents you've been given? Are you encouraging the body of believers? Are you being the encouragement which God would have prepared you to be able to do? Those are fair questions. You'll notice the premise of this verse, though, still reads the same. To the one to whom much has been given, much will be required. As you close that slide with me, isn't it a reminder then of the personal nature of what this is that's before us? I don't know what set of talents that you have. And you don't know what set that I have. But what each of us know is that there is an opportunity to make use of because the God of heaven has assured it and promised it. I would offer this additional thought. When you think again about those five talent, that five talent man and the two talent man, could it be that the five talent man was given, of course, those five talents with the understanding that there was a development necessary in order for the full usage of those five talents. Could it be that God has given to you and I the capability of developing particular skill sets or developing those in a way that might at least right now not be evident, but that could be at some future time? Have you known of someone who maybe when you knew them as a young boy or girl, you just didn't foresee the capacity that maybe they had, but a decade later, by growth and maturity, 
and by skill and development, they had grown into a person who was able to do what you not, might not have thought they would 10 years earlier. It may well be that you and I have the capacity for growth and maturity in such a way that we could be mighty forces for good in the kingdom of the Lord. As you close that particular slide that's now before you, it leads me to this next slide, which is again a matter of application, borrowing somewhat from that parable of the talents that you and I have already noted. I think there's a biblical example of the very situation we just mentioned. Would you think with me about Timothy for just a moment? You and I recall that Paul first encountered him on the missionary journey as recorded in Acts chapter 16. It might well be that since Paul passed through that region a couple of years earlier, it might well be that Timothy had at least been among the audience of those who heard the preaching of Paul then, but the text doesn't say that. But what we do know in Acts 16 is when Paul came to this area of Derby and Lydda that it was the case that Timothy from that point forward accompanied Paul. It would seem that Paul appreciated that Timothy was a little bit on the timid side. He was somewhat shy. He might not have had the boldness that one would anticipate for the necessity of preaching the kingdom of the Lord back in that day and time for sure. But yet what you and I see when we arrive at the books of First and Second Timothy is that this one who may well have begun shyly and who may have begun with an element of timidity, he was told in 2 Timothy 1.7, don't be timid, but rather be bold and courageous, and this same man would preach the kind of messages we read about in 1 Timothy 4 and 2 Timothy 4. It would seem to me maybe Timothy grew quite a bit in his leadership capacity and in his boldness with regard to preaching. Be that as it may, it's certainly a reminder that each of us can take an interesting examination about the character of what we have. For to whom much is given, much will be required. As you close that slide with me, notice again some implications that follow from it. Surely you and I need to be busy in prayer with regard to this so that God would make clear to us or reveal to us by a powerful way the understanding of what He would expect of us. In fact, in James 1 verse 5, to anyone that lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who giveth to all men liberally. And I thought that it would be well for us to reflect upon 1 Peter chapter 4. I'd invite you to be turning to that passage. In verse 10 of 1 Peter 4, you and I read the following. It will harmonize so directly with the other passages we have seen to this point today. That text reads as follows. As every man hath received the gift, even so minister the same one to another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. You'll notice that as every man hath received the gift, what gift? The previous context would set before us the thought that these were the particulars by which a person can make service unto the Lord. And as each one has received this, even so minister one to another, using them for the blessing of the kingdom, for the great edification of the body, for the purposes of carrying out the work of the Lord. And so today, what about you and me? 
To whom much is given, much will be required. I hope that we've each been motivated to serve our Lord in the context and confines in which we're able. Putting to use our skills and our abilities and to not be a point of contented with doing little. Because after all, Jesus just said to those that do little, but we've been given much, that won't meet the requirements of satisfaction to the Master. And so at the work of the Pippin Church of Christ, certainly there's works that can be done and programs and various things. May we, under the leadership of our elders, pursue those works for the benefit of the kingdom, putting into practice the particulars of which we're capable. Whether that's instruction or teaching or the particulars of service in one way or another. But all of it reminds us that we surely would wish to be mindful that to whom much is given, there should be much required. This closing slide to the lesson today is one that will, in a final way, put back before us the very verse that we've noted. Luke chapter 12, verse number 48. For unto whomsoever much is given, of him shall be much required. That premise and principle that seems to be a guiding one in the world in which we live, we notice God is also a respecter of it. May you and I then be wise as we seek to use our skills and abilities because we do not want to disappoint the Master. He has seen in us such potential and such possibility that He would instill in us that set of gifts to make those things possible. And He would anticipate that you and I could be the blessings of those who carry that out in such a way to not only encourage ourselves and others, but to certainly be a glorification to His cause and to His kingdom. As we close this lesson today, it then will be a time to extend the invitation of the Lord. Maybe there's one or more in this assembly that knows the character of the invitation of the Lord, that knows what it's like to be a faithful Christian because at one time you were one. But maybe over the course of time, the premise that we've studied today has been lost, at least in your thinking. And you have forgotten the fact that you were given much. And over the course of the last little while, you have not redirected that great glory to God by serving Him with that much you were given. You could come back to your first love today. And what an occasion of rejoicing and redirection for life it would be. But it's also true that if you've never yet responded in faith to what the Lord demands. To this point, God has poured into your life a whole host of blessings and you have given nothing back to Him by serving in His kingdom. Today, what a great day to start that way of life. And what a great day to look forward to all eternity in light of it. If you would wish to obey the gospel today in that way, won't you believe that Jesus is the Son of God? Repent of the sins in your life. Make confession of His name and be baptized for the remission of sins. When you do that, you start a life of faithfulness in which you then can, can, can direct toward the God of heaven in what you do each day, the things that would be properly serving of His cause. If today we could help you in that way, and we'd certainly love to do it, we want to extend this invitation and this opportune time. Brother Cale has chosen a song of encouragement, and if we could be of help to you now, won't you come? While together we stand and sing.